Well, that was an amazing time of worship this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you, worship team. Well, as I look at communion this morning, I remember the first time that I did communion in our church in California. And uh, the deaconesses came to me prior to, prior to um, the communion service, and they said, Pastor, what, what do you want? You're the new pastor in the church. What, what do you want for communion? And I thought, that'd be really cool if we had like a whole loaf of bread and just like Jesus did, you know, break the, break the loaf. And she said, oh, I, one of them said, I, I love to bake. And she said, I'll, I'll do that for you. And she said, I'll take care of communion this time. Okay, fine. I didn't think anything of it. So the morning of, I see everything's wrapped up like this. And uh, I, I go to un, un, take off the, the wrapper for the bread. And there's this beautiful loaf of bread, you know, round loaf of bread. And I, I said, in the same way after supper, Jesus took the bread and I'm trying to, it's like leather. I'm trying to break this bread and it won't break. And finally it's like, I got it apart. And it's like, what's that smell? I couldn't figure out, what is the smell that I keep smelling here? And I broke other pieces apart and handed it to the, to the elders and they began passing it out throughout the congregation. And everybody who took a piece, they kind of, what's, what's, this, what's with this smell? And and I didn't think anything of it, and it came time to take the, take the bread. It was awful. It was just, it, was, it, it just had a taste. It was like, what, what is this? What is this terrible taste? And you could see throughout the congregation, too, everyone's like, oh, this is awful. And it's like, thank the Lord, I take just a little piece because I have to talk next, right after that, about the cup. And so we take the lid off the cups, and it's white. It, it's, it's grape juice. But it was clear grape juice. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this, this is not the way, it's not a good way to start out. Yes, it was grape juice. And so afterward, I, I asked the lady in charge of the communion, I said, so what was up with communion this morning? The bread kind of smelled a little funny. Oh, she said that. My four-year-old daughter had a snit fit right before church and dumped a whole bottle of perfume all over the top of the bread. And, and she said, we didn't have time to go to the store. And she said, eh, it was fine. Everybody takes just a little piece. It's okay. It's like, oh, my word. That's what the terrible taste was. It was perfume. And I said, uh, what was up with the, the white grape juice? Oh, she said, we always do purple grape juice. She said, I thought we'd just kind of you know, shake things up a little bit. It's like, uh, I said, sister, there's a reason why we normally do purple grape juice. It's because it's to represent the blood of Christ. It's like, oh my goodness, if that's the way things were going to start. But they've gotten better over the years. The question for us as we begin this morning, we're still in our series, The Lord is My Shepherd, but we're taking a little turn this week because we have a family meeting coming up after church this morning. And we're going to be focusing on communion, a time where the shepherd became the lamb. And we're looking at Isaiah 53. And as we begin, just a question for us this morning. Ever had somebody in your life who, they seem kind of insignificant, but they played a very significant role in your life? Maybe it was a grandparent. And they couldn't do much, but they had a lot of wisdom. And, and when you needed wisdom and when you needed someone to pray for you, you could go to them and you knew that, hey, they had your back and they were going to give you good advice. And if there's anything, you know, now that they've passed on into glory, boy, just to be able to have 10 minutes to be able to talk with them again. Because they had a significant part in your life. Maybe it was a teacher in school. And that teacher, they were insignificant. They didn't, they didn't shake the world, but they shook your life. Because that teacher took an interest in you. She saw things in you that other teachers didn't. And she spoke words of encouragement, and the words you still remember today. Maybe as a coach, 
or a neighbor or a parent. Somebody who on the outside, just they, they look insignificant, but they've had, a, they've had an incredible, they've had a significant role in your life. There's a guy by the name of John Harrison, James Harrison, excuse me. He's an Aussie. And to look at him, he's just a normal guy. I mean, he loves to collect stamps. He's 77 years old, has, uh, loves his daughter, loves his granddaughter, loves to go on walks, loves to play with his granddaughter. But to look at him, he's one of the most insignificant people you'll ever meet. But in Australia, he's known as the man with the golden arm. You see, when he was 14 years old, James had surgery on one of his lungs and just about died. It, wasn't, it was because they gave him a great deal of blood that he survived. And his father let him know that. He said, the reason that you're alive is because people gave their blood so that you could live. James was 14 at the time, and he determined when he was able that he would begin giving blood. So at 18 years old, he began giving blood. And oh, I lost the name of what it was. Ah, So when they started taking his blood, they realized that he had an antigen in his blood called anti-D. Anti-D is, is used for mothers especially, or it's used to, there's a rare disease that happens with children in utero, babies that are in, in utero, where the mother's blood attacks the, the child's blood and can kill the child in utero. Well, if they, have this, if they have this vaccine and give the anti-D to the mother, it will prevent this from happening. And they realized James's blood had anti-D in it, one of only 25 in all of, in all of Australia. Think about that. Australia is a country that's as big as the United States. With millions of people, only 25 people in the whole country have that antigen in their, in their blood. And so James began to give. From the time he was 18 till just this year when he was not allowed to give any more after this year. Every week he would go in and he would give his plasma and they would take out that, that antigen and it would save lives. How many lives? 2.5 million babies have been saved in the years that he has been giving blood. But think about the influence. That's just the babies. Think about the influence of the families that were touched as a result of it. Insignificant, but yet had an amazing role. And as we look at the part of Christ on this, on this earth, he, he didn't blaze onto the scene as someone who was, a, who was a champion, someone who people would just rally behind because of what he looked like. He was very insignificant, came from very insignificant background. But he has a significant role to play in history, didn't he? And as we open up Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, verse 1 to 6, is a messianic, song, is a messianic prophecy about Christ's coming. And before this, the backstory of this is in, chapter, in the, the chapters coming up to 53, God has been telling his people that there's a suffering servant that's going to come, and he's going to deliver his people. And most conservative scholars believe that when it's being written now in Isaiah 53, it's written to people who are in captivity, telling them that a deliverer, excuse me, that a deliverer was coming. And look at the response of the people. Verse 1, it says, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And the writer saying, Who's believed our message? I mean, it seems almost too good to be true. You ever had one of those where somebody tells you something and we always said the comment, if it sounds too good to be true, it, it probably is. So when you come along and you say to somebody that all you need to do to become a Christian, to become a Jesus follower, is to pray to receive, is to confess your sin, repent of your sin, and receive Christ as your personal Savior. And I've heard people say, that seems too easy. That's just the beginning. When a baby's born, you don't throw him in the crib and say, grow. 
I mean, okay, now they're born, but you gotta, you got to walk beside them. But there comes a point where it's on, at times it's like, that's almost too good to be true. But thank the Lord, it is true. It is true. And I, I look back at things in, in Scripture. In 2 Kings chapter 7, the Israelites are suffering a horrible siege by the Arameans. I mean, they are starving to death. They are eating stuff. You can read it for yourself. They're, they're to the point where they're eating just about anything to try and survive. Outside the city are three guys with leprosy. And they say, hey, we're, we're, we're dying here. Why don't we just go to the camp of the Arameans? And if they kill us, we're going to die anyway. But we'll go there. And they go to the camp of the Arameans. And the camp of the Arameans, there's, there's food. There's nobody there. They've all left. God caused them to leave. Meanwhile, back in the city, Elisha has prophesied that on the next day, because the people had lost a lot of their courage, the next day he says, wheat is going to sell for this price and barley is going to sell for this price. And one of the king's attendants says, even if God would open the floodgates of heaven, this couldn't happen. And Elisha said, it's going to happen, but you won't take part in it. And when the lepers are eating all this food, they realize, hey, there's people back in the city who are dying. And we need to come and, and tell them that there's food, in the, if, food out here. And did some of them believe it? No, they didn't believe it because it's like it, it, it's a trap. But there were some of them that were hungry enough. And sometimes it isn't until we're hungry enough that we believe the message. When we haven't reached the point of where we're at the bottom to where we really begin to believe the message and believe what it is that God has about us. What happened when the people finally believed? I think there were some who were hungry enough to say, I don't care. They just went out. And the guy who said this isn't going to happen, he gets trampled to death from the people who were going out. It seemed too good to be true. The message of Christ seems too good to be true, but it is the truth, isn't it? Amen? I'm sitting in the sauna this week at the Y. And it's like, okay, do you just sit there? If this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, Joel, do you just sit there and roast or do you, do you ask a question of the guy sitting next to you? The guy sitting next to me, he's got tats, Arabic tats on his, on, his, on, his, uh, on his neck. So I said, so what's the Arabic mean? And he goes, well, this one is my former girlfriend and this one is a name and it's, it's, just, gibber, it's just gibberish. And then he begins telling me about his life, telling me that, he, that he's in recovery. And I said, oh, I said, there's this guy at our church. And I said, do you know him? You know, and he, he, you know, I don't know him. And he said, and he said, uh, I said, so you're in a faith-based recovery program, so where do you go to church? And he begins telling me about, you know, he said, I'm just kind of kicking the tires right now. I'm looking at this church, looking at that church. And I said, hey, I go to a pretty good church. I said, you should, you should, should look at, at this church. And, and he said, yeah, yeah. I said, well, why, why do you like it? I said, oh, I, t- I told him various reasons. And, and he says, well, he says, why, why do you go there? <laughs> and I said, I, I'm the pastor of the church. Oh, you are. Oh, you are. And that opened up a whole other conversation. You know, and I think about that. That's sitting in the sauna, okay? And we have opportunities every day to share Christ. Who's believed our message? We don't know if we don't open our mouth and share what it is and have the courage to share. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you will have courage and that fear will flee and you won't be afraid to share the truth. And he says, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Whenever it talks about the arm of the Lord, it's speaking about the power of God, his divine power. When God says he's going to do something, is it going to happen? And Jesus comes on the scene, and he doesn't impress people. 
He doesn't wow people. He, goes, he doesn't come. He comes as someone. He doesn't go to any rabbinical school. He doesn't come to the, to the leaders. Who does he bring? He brings a bunch of guys around him, 12 different guys that nobody would have chosen. He's got a guy by the name of Simon the Zealot, and he's got a guy by the name of Matthew the tax collector. Opposite ends of the spectrum. I mean, Simon the Zealot would have stuck a knife in your back if you, if you gave him a chance. And Matthew, he had been a, somebody who had turned his back on his own people. And yet Jesus takes these guys and he works with these guys, but he doesn't conform to what the, what the religious leaders wanted him to do. And it says here that the leader coming, it says, and who has believed their message? He grew up like a, like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. When Jesus comes on the scene, people say, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of, out, of, out of Nazareth? I mean, who is this guy? And Jesus even says in John chapter 12, verse, um, verse 37, 38, it says, even after he'd done all of these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. They still didn't believe him. Even when they saw the power of God, they still didn't believe him. They asked for miracles, and he wouldn't give them. Because even, when, even those at times won't change people's hearts. So why did he do it? Because it goes on and he says, it says that um, he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. It says that he took up our sorrows. He took up our sorrows. Some of you have had a week that you would rather forget. That if you didn't have to live through that week again, it would be all the better. Jesus came and he died on the cross not just for our sins, but he carried your sorrows as well. Is he familiar with what you're walking through right now? He is a man of sorrows. Familiar. He knows what it's like to hurt. When he goes to the cross, he not only carries our sins, but he carries our sorrows as well. So what difference does that make? When I get a telephone call this week from dear friends back in Minnesota, and you talk about kind people. Walt and Glenda, when you see kind in the dictionary, you see their picture next to it. And they're just kind overwhelmingly kind. Walt was a, is a retired OBGYN, and his wife is a retired RN. Just some of the nicest people you will ever meet. And they sent a text this week and said, pray for Walt. They found cancer this week in his kidney. And knowing Walt, he's just kind of, okay, well, I got two kidneys. I can, I can live with just the one kidney. But now they're concerned that the cancer is metastasized because they're finding cancer around that kidney. And I think about what they're walking through and what they're going through. Does God understand? Does God understand when we walk through difficult times? You may be walking through a time right now and you're saying, nobody gets it. Nobody understands what it is that I'm walking through. And nothing could be farther from the truth. There is one who does understand. And not only does he understand, he cares and he empathizes with what it is that you're walking through. He cares. When he died on the cross, he not only died for our sorrows, 
but it said he took up our infirmities. And you're saying, and this is where some of us will part waves because you've heard that in the, in the atonement, when Jesus dies on the cross and takes our place and bears our sins and our punishment, there are some groups, and Christian Missionary Alliance is one of them that believes that healing is part of, part of the thing that Jesus died for as well. Not only for our sins, but that we could also be healed. We don't have the, the CMA logo up here, but we believe Jesus is our Savior. He's our sanctifier. He's the one that makes us holy. He is our healer, and he's our coming king. And I've struggled with that because there are people that I've heard that um, different people that talk about that healing is not found in, the, in this scripture. And when I was studying Hebrew in seminary, I was studying under one of the foremost Hebrew scholars in the United States, Dr. Richard Hess. And I said, uh, Dr. Hess, I said, I'm part of the Christian Mission Alliance. And I said, we kind of take a, a view that Jesus, that healing is found in this, in this scripture. And I said, it's a big deal for us. I said, is it true or is it not true that healing is found here? And he said, absolutely it is. Absolutely. Peter goes on, he says in first chapter, in first Peter chapter two, he says, and by his stripes we have been healed. We've been healed. When Jesus dies on the cross, he not only takes our sorrow, but he takes our, our infirmities as well. Can we go to him? In two weeks we're going to be hearing more about this, so I won't I won't push too much on that this week. But can we go to him and ask him for healing? What do you think? You absolutely can. Does God always heal? Yes, he does. Let me put the caveat in there. He does. Because one day we will pass into eternity and we will be healed. Does God always heal here? No. I said goodbye to a 35-year-old brother who died of melanoma cancer. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed for him. And God chose to say, my grace is sufficient for you. There are times that God heals. God does what only God can do. And when God does that, that why does he do that? That's getting a taste of heaven here on this earth, isn't it? Because think about it, there's coming a day, I can't, I can't wait, when I'm never going to wear these again. There's coming a day where I'm going to be able to run again like I used to run when I was, when I was a teenager. There's going to come a day when there's going to be no more wheelchairs, there's going to be no more blindness, there's going to be no more deafness, there's going to be no more Alzheimer's disease. There's going to be no more of that. Because when we pass into eternity, there will be healing. And when God brings healing on this earth, it is a taste of heaven it is a taste of what it is, what it's going to be like in heaven. When Diola came home from the Balkans, she asked the writer, one of the writers of our, our denomination's magazine, The Alliance Life, she said, do you want to hear a miracle? Want to hear about a miracle? She's like, yeah, I want to hear about a miracle. And I have this written down for you if you want it later on. Okay, so text me this week, ask him if you want the story. Di was in the Balkans. And she was serving with Kama Services, which is our relief and development arm of our denomination. And she, was, she contracted COVID in 2020. And she got put into a hospital with all kinds of women. There were just women all over the floor. And, and they were just basically just a mattress on the floor. And one day, a, a lady two, two beds over her, um, they heard the family cry out. And in, and in the Balkans, if you're going to be taken care of in a hospital, it's not going to be by a nurse. 
It's your family that comes in and takes care of you. They feed you, they clean you, they take care of all of your needs. And the family members were there and they began to cry and, and they heard that she had died. And Di is laying down and she's, she's thinking about what's just happened. And she said, the Lord impressed upon her heart, pray for Maria. And she says, Lord, we don't, we don't pray for the dead. He said, you didn't hear me, pray for Maria. And so she asked for permission because in this country, they don't worship God. They worship, it's an Islamic country. And she's asked the family, may I have permission to pray for your mother? And I said, go ahead. And I knew that God was up to something. And so she began to pray about how God loved Maria and how God desired her to be his child. And she began to pray. And then she just prayed, God, would you raise her up? Her eyes opened up and the family's like, what just happened here? What just, what just happened here? And Di turned to the gal who was working with her. It was just, she was teaching at a school, and this girl, I don't know if she was a believer or not, but she said, don't ever forget what you just saw. Because there are going to be times when you want to reject God, when you want to turn your back on God, but don't forget what it is that you just saw. God is the one who can do the impossible. And when God steps in to our lives, and not only takes our sorrows, but also takes our sicknesses. He does what only he can do, and it is the taste of heaven, because in heaven it says there's going to be no more tears. I wonder about that. <laughs> I never knew what tears of joy meant until one of our kids was born. How many of you guys are with me on that? When, when the child is born and, and you hear that first cry, and you begin to cry, and it's like, why am I crying? This is, these are tears of joy. And I've heard people say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a few words with God about things. I wonder about that. <laughs> because I wonder how many thousand years it's going to be before we get up off our face before God. And the tears, I think the tears that will be erased, well, those tears of hurt, those tears of sorrow, but the tears... I believe that we will have are those tears of absolute joy at being in the presence of the Savior. He took our sorrows. And he took our infirmities. But he also took, he also suffered for our sins. It said, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten and afflicted. The people there are thinking, well, he's getting what he, is, what he deserved. What they don't understand is he's taking our place. He's standing in our place. And it was at the cross, it was our rebellion at the cross against God that sent him to the, to the cross. Jesus dies at the cross so that we can be forgiven of our sins. But that's not all. That's not where it stops. At the cross as well, it was at the cross Jesus bore our sins that we could be forgiven and he bore our punishment. He bore our punishment so that we could be free. There's two things that happened at the cross. God forgave us of our sins, and Jesus takes our punishment. He stands in our place. So why? Why does he do it? Why does he do it? Remember a couple weeks ago, some of you weren't here with us, some of you were. We talked about the scripture that said in 23rd Psalm where it says, He restores my soul. What that literally means is he brings me back. He does for me what I cannot do on my own. And it says in verse 6 that we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him 
the iniquity of us all. All of us. Why did he do it? Because we have strayed away from him. And there was no way that we could come back. There was no way that we would desire to come back. It was him making the sacrifice. It was him going out and drawing us back. That's why he did it. Why? Because he wants to have a relationship with you. This isn't just bread and juice. This represents what it is that God did for us at the cross. Because he desires to have a relationship with us. Not just a Sunday morning relationship, but a relationship that goes on throughout the week. And he died as well. And because he died, what do I do with that? What what do I do with that? You turn to him rather than away from him. Because our natural, one of our natural reactions when we're going through a hard time is, uh, boy, I've often said, funerals bring out the worst and the best in people. Had a guy, big family, they were, um, their mom died, 13 kids, Eastern Montana family. And we, my son was helping me bring the, bring the chairs out that we needed a lot more chairs. And all of a sudden he comes up to me and he, he goes, and I said, what's up, Andrew? And next thing out of the corner of my eye, here comes one of the sons. Great big beard, and he comes right here into my face. And he says, you can put the visitor's unwelcome sign out next week. He said, we're going to have hymnals in the, in the uh, pews today or in the chairs today. And he said, when I go to a church, he said, if I don't see hymnals in the, in the chairs, he said, we walk out of the church and go home. I'm thinking, oh, okay, so they can be preaching heresy in the church. But as long as they got hymnals in the, it brings out the worst in people. It can also bring out the best in people. And sometimes when we walk through times of sorrow and hardship, one of our reactions is to turn away from God rather than turning to the one who was familiar with our sorrows. He knows what it is that you're walking through. And I think about Walt and Glenda as they're walking through cancer this week. I think about others in our, in our midst who are walking through difficult stuff right now. Where do you turn? You turn back to Christ, the one who cares and the one who can do something. doesn't mean you can't share your heart with God, but be respectful. Remember, he is God, but we can still speak to him and say, God, I don't understand this. God, would you help me? Because sometimes people come along and, and bless their hearts, they, they come along and they've got, a, they've got a kind word, but find those ones who really care. That's why I say again, small group, we've got a big group on Sunday morning, smaller groups, and an even smaller group. And it's in the midst of that small group, that community group that you have, where you find those people who deeply care, that you can say, All is not well with my soul. And would you pray for me? Because sometimes when we're walking through difficult times, our faith is weak, and we need the faith of others to to support us and keep us up. What else do I do with this? Worship. And that's what this is about this morning, is worship. You know, when I came this morning, thankfully, um, took the time to... uh, take a shower this morning, and to thank the Lord, yeah, <laughs> and, and put on, put on a, a nicer clothes. And we can come in on a Sunday morning and we can dress the outside up, but it's the inside that God's cared about. Amen. And he's told us that before we partake of this, we're to examine ourselves. Because we're not supposed to eat this in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? That means take the time and say, God, search me and know me. 
and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This morning, before we partake of the communion, I'm going to give you an opportunity, and it's going to be quiet for a while. And it's okay that it's quiet because we live in a noisy world and we just need the quiet. So don't be, don't be freaked out by the quiet. I'm going to be quiet for a while to just allow you to spend some time with the Lord. James Harrison's the man with the golden arm. His life affected millions. But Jesus is the one whose blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And the effect of his life is not just for this world, but it's for eternity. And it's affected billions. And one day, we will get to stand before him and say thank you. But this morning, we do this in remembrance of him. Would you join me in prayer? And then I'm going to be quiet for a while, okay? Father, in Jesus' name, I come before you and I pray. I pray glory and honor are brought to your name. Because you're worthy. As we sang this morning, you are worthy. You're worthy of all blessing, honor, and praise. God, I thank you that you understand what it is that we're walking through right now. For some of us, our hearts have been broken this week. For others of us, we've been walking through a season of just hardship. And this morning we heard that not only do you know, but you care. And in the name of Jesus, those of you who are walking through this time of difficulty, I bless you with the comfort of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I bless you with his tender care over you and over those whom you love. Lord, for some of us, we come and we've asked and we've asked for healing. And thus far, God, you have said my grace is sufficient. Lord, we speak the name of Jesus over this place and pray for the touch of your healing upon hearts, upon marriages. God, that there would be breakthroughs. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your love for us. For your word says that it was your desire to, to crush him that we might be able to have a relationship with you. And God, in the name of Jesus, I just pray over your precious flock that, God, we would know that we've been set free. Again, for those of you who struggle this morning and are struggling I speak over you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blessing of his freedom. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. 
You are freed. And Christ is the one who has declared you free. And Jesus, I pray as well, your hand and your power that you would reveal your arm and that, God, you would work in a powerful way in and through and over our lives to reveal Christ so that you will be seen in and through us. I thank you for giving your body and your blood for us. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. And Father, as we come now, would you be the one to look at our hearts? And Lord, would you hear our cries to you? Kind Father, thank you. Thank you for the forgiveness. Thank you that today you've brought some of your lambs back on your shoulders. And you carry us back before the Father with rejoicing. Because a sheep that was lost has been found. All kind Father, all glory and honor belongs to you as we partake of this meal today. We do so remembering, remembering the gift that you gave to us. Lord, in this time, be honored and glorified, and I pray it in Jesus' name.